Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in United States v. Davis, certiori to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, argued April 17, 2019, decided June 24, 2019. Respondents Maurice Davis and Andre Glover were charged with multiple counts of Hobbs Act robbery and one count of conspiracy to commit Hobbs Act robbery. They were also charged under 18 U.S.C. Section 924C, which authorizes heightened criminal penalties for using, carrying, or possessing a firearm in connection with any federal crime of violence or drug trafficking crime, Section 924C1A. Crime of violence is defined in two subparts, the Elements Clause, Section 924C3A, and the Residual Clause, Section 924C3B. The residual clause, in turn, defines a crime of violence as a felony that is by its nature that by its nature involves a substantial risk that physical force against the person or property of another may be used in the course of committing the offense. A jury convicted the men on most of the underlying charges and on two separate Section 924C charges for brandishing a firearm in connection with their crimes. The Fifth Circuit initially rejected their argument that 924C's residual clause is unconstitutionally vague, but on remand, in light of Sessions v. DeMaia, the court reversed course and held Section 924C3B's unconstitutional. It then held that Mr. Davis's and Mr. Glover's convictions on the 924C count charging robbery as a predicate crime of violence could be sustained under the Elements Clause but that the other count, which charged conspiracy as a predicate crime of violence, could not be upheld because it depended on the residual clause. The Supreme Court held, the decision below is affirmed in part and vacated in part and remanded. Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court. Section 924C3B is unconstitutionally vague. In our constitutional order, a vague law is no law at all. The vagueness doctrine rests on the twin constitutional pillars of due process and separation of powers. This court has recently applied, applied the doctrine in two cases involving statutes that bear more than a passable resemblance to Section 924C3B's residual clause. Johnson v. United States, which addressed the residual clause of the Armed Career Criminal Act, and Sessions v. DeMaia, which addressed the residual clause of 18 U.S.C. Section 16. The residual clause in each case required judges to use a categorical approach to determine whether an offense qualified as a violent felony or crime of violence. Judges had to disregard how the defendant actually committed the offense and instead imagine the degree of risk that would attend the idealized ordinary case of the offense. That's uh, Johnson. The court held in each case that the imposition of criminal punishments cannot be made to depend on a judge's estimation of the degree of risk posed by a crime's imagined ordinary case. The government and lower courts have long understood Section 924C3B to require the same categorical approach. Now the government asked this court to abandon the traditional categorical approach and hold that the statute commands a case-specific approach that would look at a defendant's actual conduct in the predicate crime. The government's case-specific approach 
would avoid the vagueness problems that doom the statutes in Johnson and DeMaia and would not yield the same practical and Sixth Amendment complications that a case-specific approach under the ACCA and Section 16 would. But this approach finds no support in Section 924C's text, context, and history. This court has already read the nearly identical language of 16b to mandate a categorical approach. See Leo Cal versus Ashcroft. And what is true of Section 16b seems at least as true of 924C3b. The government claims that the singular term of offense carries a generic meaning in connection with the elements clause, but a specific act meaning in connection with the residual clause. But nothing in section 924C3b rebuts the presumption that the single term offense bears a consistent meaning. This reading is reinforced by the language of the residual clause itself, which speaks of an offense that, by its nature, involves a certain type of risk. The categorical reading is also reinforced by section 924C3b's role in the broader context of the federal criminal code. Dozens of federal criminal statutes use the phrase crime of violence to refer to presently charged conduct. Some cross-reference 924C3's definition, while others are governed by virtually identical definition in section 16. The choice appears completely random. To hold that section 16B requires the categorical approach, while 924C3B requires case-specific approach, would make a hash of the federal criminal code. Section 924C3B's history provides still further evidence that it carries the same categorical approach command as Section 16B. When Congress enacted the definition of crime of violence in Section 16 in 1984, it also employed the term in numerous places of the Act, including 924C. The two statutes thus were originally designed to be read together, and when Congress added a definition of crime of violence to Section 924C in 1986, it copied the definition from Section 16 without making any material changes to the language of the residual cause, which would have been a bizarre way of suggesting that the two clauses should bear distinctly different meanings. Moreover, Section 924C originally prohibited the use of a firearm in connection with any federal felony. Before Congress narrowed Section 924C in 1984 by limiting its predicate offenses to crimes of violence, the case-specific reading would go a long way towards nullifying that limitation and restoring the statute's original breadth. Relying on the canon of constitutional avoidance, the government assists insists that if the case-specific approach does not represent the best reading of the statute, it is nevertheless the court's duty to adopt any fairly possible reading to save the statute from being unconstitutional. But it is doubtful the canon could play a proper role in this case, even if the government's reading were possible. This court has sometimes adopted the narrower construction of a criminal statute to avoid having to hold it unconstitutional, if it were construed more broadly, but it has not invoked the canon to expand the reach of a criminal statute in order to save it. To do so would risk offending the very same due process and separation of powers principles 
on which the vagueness doctrine itself rests, and would sit uneasily with the rule of lenity's teaching that ambiguities about criminal statutes' breadth should be resolved in the defendant's favor. The decision below is affirmed in part, vacated in part, and remanded. Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court, in which Justice Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan joined. Justice Kavanaugh filed an opinion dissenting, in which Justice Thomas and Alito joined, and in which Chief Justice Roberts joined as to all but Part 2C. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of the podcast, we can be reached at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S and H-0, or on Twitter at Court Syllabus.